Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Take up your Bibles and to, to Mark chapter 7. We're carrying on in our, our series through this book. Uh, you can find the page numbers uh, in this service sheet, uh, 842. If you've got a large print, it's 1001. But Mark chapter 7, we'll be reading uh, verses 1 uh, to 23. Let's listen to our Lord's words to us. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining catches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honour your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared, all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Amen. Now I realise this morning I said how buildings uh, amazed me. Well, this, this evening uh, heart, heart transplant surgery amazes me. Everything's amazing at the moment. This, this organ pumping round that keeps us uh, alive. You know, when it's um, 
uh, diseased or dying can be taken out and replaced by a new one. Isn't that just incredible? Uh, the first one I found out was done in 1967. Can you imagine going, yeah, okay, I'll, t- I'll, I'll take a new heart? Um, amazing. Well, today's passage zeroes in on the heart. Now, not that physical one sitting under our ribcages, uh, beating away right now. And nor just the place of emotions, uh, like when someone says, I love you with all my heart. No, in, instead, Jesus in this passage is zeroing in on the center of who uh, you are, your inner life. Uh, yes, uh, your emotions, uh, but also your will, your desires, your affections, um, your thoughts. It's from our hearts, in Bible terms, that we worship, that we have awe. It's a a whole inner life and character. But here in our passage today, we have dead hearts. Verse 6. Their heart is far from me. That's what this is about. Hearts far from God. Hearts that worship in vain. Do you see that? In vain do they worship me. Why? Because they've completely lost the plot. These, These people have a physical heart beating but their inner life heart, it's flatlining. Well, well, how do we know? What does a dead heart look like? Um, well, and, and is there a, a transplant surgery to deal with it, I suppose? Well, let's have a look at, at Mark 7 um, and God's answer to it. Now, we've been traveling with Mark and the, uh, and the disciples for quite a while, haven't we? We've been getting a bigger and bigger picture of Jesus and who he is. There have been miracles galore, some teaching on the kingdom, and also some conflict. If you remember back in chapters 2 and 3, it feels quite a while ago now, but there were five incidences involving Jesus and the religious hierarchy going head to head. And the last one about the Sabbath ended with the Pharisees in 3 verse 6 wanting to kill Jesus. It escalated phenomenally quickly. Well, here in chapter 7, the conflict returns. And again, it's a very heated exchange we've got here. And the issue is, is washing Okay, it's, it's, it's washing hands. The Pharisees have noticed the disciples don't wash their hands before eating. Now, it's not in a get the germs off kind of way, okay, but instead a get them clean so you're pure before God kind of way. So in verse 5, they ask Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with uh, defiled, that is, unwashed hands? And so Jesus answers them. He answers them in two parts. Okay? The first part is verses 6 to 13. He answers about the tradition. And then verses 14 to 23, he answers about this idea of being defiled. Okay? And in the midst of this confrontation, Jesus shows us the heart. He shows us a dead heart, what it's like, how it worships, what kind of religion it loves, what kind of religion it creates. Okay, and firstly, it creates a downside-up religion, and then it creates an outside-in religion. Okay, I clearly need to explain what that's about. So firstly, a dead heart creates a downside-up religion. Uh, In the face of this question from the Pharisees, Jesus turns the table on them again and sets out his case. Uh, And he does it again and again, if you notice, verse 7, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. 
And then again, verse 13, thus making void the word of God by your tradition. See, this is a major accusation of authority. Who's in charge? And what the Pharisees have done is, is put what should be on top, God's words, and put a tradition beneath. Oh, sorry, they've taken what's on top. Even I'm getting confused. What's on top, God's word, they've put it beneath and taken what should be beneath, that's the tradition, and put it on top. So it's a downside. What's on the down has been moved to the up. Let's have a look at Jesus' evidence of this. Now, the the Pharisees have a tradition, this idea of Corban. Okay, now, it's, it's a gift of money. It's an offering. Now, probably this started as a great idea. Okay, let's set aside money for God and call it Corban. But then this tradition, it starts running against God's words. Because what if my parents need my help? But I've set aside the money. What what do I do? Now, rather than reassessing the tradition, the tradition itself starts to take hold. God's word says, honour your father and mother. But instead of doing that, Corbin says, no, 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 the money's been set aside. It can't go to them. It's gone. So the tradition becomes equal with and then more important than the Bible, than God's word. It slowly creeps up the ladder of importance. Uh, And and then in the end, it wins. It trumps the Bible, verse 13, thus making void the word of God. What should have been down, the tradition, is now up. And what was up, God's word is now down. It's downside up. Man's tradition slowly but surely getting rid of God's words. Uh, a few years ago, I watched the film um, Social Network. I don't know if you've uh, seen it. It's a, it's a great film. It's all about the start of Facebook, uh, or the Facebook back in the day. Um, but Mark Zuckerberg and his co-founder, Eduardo Savarin, they, they come up with this idea, or do they? Um, you can watch it. Um, and make it work. And as the plot unfolds, you start to realize um, Mark Zuckerberg is slowly getting rid of his co-founder. Uh, the guy who, who started important is shl- slowly but surely shifted down a peg or, peg or two. And then in one extraordinary moment, Eduardo's share of the company is completely watered down and he's left with nothing. Uh, the, the, from co-founder to no one. And that's what's happening to God's word. From the top to utterly void, completely ignored. A dead heart creates a downside-up religion. It's the dark thing. The parents who should have been cared for are neglected. Why? Because verse 13, of your tradition that you've handed down. Notice the focus. It's yours. It's your tradition. The Pharisees love their thing, their teaching. This is about pride and power again in the hands of the elites. If they hold the tradition, if they hand it down, it's theirs. They determine what's right, what's wrong. The people have come um, uh, to them to live for God. God is sidelined and what happens? They become center stage. This, this power creeps further and further as well into the minutiae of life. Did you know that? They've even started to wash their pots and their cups and even their dining couches. Uh, one commentator put it like this, never did fine gold become so dim. These Pharisees, they were going from the, from the religion of the books of Deuteronomy and Psalms to the religion of washing hands and pots and cups. How great was the fall. And it all probably started off with trying to do the right thing, 
You know, traditions and human wisdom isn't always wrong. Uh, we do it all the time. We, we do things, um, uh, you know, if, if we didn't, we'd do things differently every day. Um, it's not wrong to have a time, of, a tradition of meeting at 5.30 uh, this evening. Lots of traditions and wisdoms can help us apply scripture to our lives, think through what difference it makes. But wow, what a fall this was here. This was a slippery slope into a religion that rejected God. His word and his son even standing right before them. It's this this combination of power, tradition and pride fed into each other into a, a, a toxic combination. And it's not just then that it's happened. Okay, It's been throughout church history. I suppose a big example has been the Roman Catholic Church. You know, God's word says all foods are clean. They've said, no, no, certain days you can't eat meat. Or God's word says Christ's our only mediator, the only one who goes between God and us. And they've said, no, no, saints, saints also pray for us. The Bible says only pray to God. And they've said, no, pray to the saints and pray to Mary. The traditions of men have made void the word of God. What is da- was down is now up. What was less authoritative has become the authority. Now I'm not doing that just to, just to point the finger, no way, but it's to show how watchful we must be. It has happened multiple times and can happen again. Because where's the authority meant to lie? It's with the word of God. Notice that's exactly where Jesus goes. Verse 10, he quotes the Ten Commandments. And then another commandment in Exodus. Again, when we get on to verse 21 later, when he he, he lists the sins from the heart, many of them are from the Ten Commandments. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. God's word. That's where the authority is. So this this passage asks of us, are we always submitting our traditions and wisdom to the word of God? Because if we don't, there are massive consequences. Eventually we may make the word of God void, our worship in vain, people neglected like parents and God is ignored. And we leaders especially need to be so careful of this. You know, we have to keep asking ourselves, what do I say God requires of you? Are we adding extra hoops uh, to get through that Scripture never gives? Am I being more prescriptive than God is? Oh, and how pride gets caught up in it all. And it's true of us all. Are we, we seeking a biblical piety, a biblical spiritual life, or an unbiblical one? You know, are there areas of your devotional life or church life where we've turned good wisdom into authoritative tradition? You know, like, like having a quiet time, okay? It is good, it is good, please hear this, to read the Bible, to read it on your own, to pray. Please do so. But it's not God's law. You don't need to feel guilty for not doing so because you've had to get the kids to school or because you were feeling ill. You know, if you, if you haven't... Uh, because you don't want to pray. Now, that's a different matter. But we mustn't burden ourselves with the traditions of men. I think the dangers are often in the small print, aren't they? Where, where we put the legal details uh, where God doesn't. You know, perhaps in Sabbath restrictions or in ethical responses to Halloween or how we give our money to church. Now, that doesn't mean we have... We, um, 
we have to have an explicit command in the Bible. You know, we're often uh, trying to work out how uh, to apply principles in God's words to new things. You know, like the Bible doesn't talk about smartphones, but we have to think that one through, or why we shouldn't take drugs, or, or how we do keep the Sabbath, or we, how, how we give our money. We must take Scripture's uh, principles and work out what it looks like. But, it, but it, this means we do so carefully. We do so graciously. We make sure God's word is always on top, not downside up. But that's not the only problem uh, for these Pharisees. Uh, once Jesus is speaking to the crowd, he opens up another problem. And here it's a dead heart creates an outside-in religion. It's outside-in. So, um, verses 14 to 23, that's the section we're in now. Jesus tackles this, the second part of this question, this issue of defiled hands. Now, the Pharisees have got big time into washing, okay? They wash their hands in a special way. They're washing cups, they're washing pots, they're washing copper vessels, they're dining couches. Um, and and some, some ritual washing was prescribed in the Old Testament law to do with specific sacrifices. But the Pharisees, no, 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 that's not enough. Uh, we want to do more. You know, they didn't want any dirt getting into their body. If they're about to eat, make sure everything's clean. You know, you've been out with others, have a wash. Now, this is more than just kind of COVID regulations on steroids, okay? This is, this is all about ritual cleanliness. This is about being clean before God. Just like Corbin, they've made up some man-made traditions and regulations to help them, but actually ignore God's words. And it, it's all about the outside. Okay, now Jesus goes, from this, uh, goes for this man-made religion, and he brings out two things that are linked to each other. Okay, firstly, it's all about appearance. Okay, this is about an appearance of godliness, like a facade. Looking one thing, but behaving in another. Okay? So Corbin, it looked good. I'm saving money for God, but I'm actually ignoring my parents. Washing cups, it looks good. I'm extra clean, but actually hides what's beneath. That's, that's why Jesus calls them hypocrites. They look, they look so holy and pure. As Isaiah writes, they honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We've thought about this before, haven't we? These Pharisees, they're regulars at church. They know their doctrines. They help on the welcome team. They've, they've read the right books. Their quiet times are long. They're studying the Bible in depth. On the outside, oh, it's all happy. It's all good. But it's just a surface. It's a facade. Completely different to how they're relating to God in actual fact. They're, they're virtue signaling. That's what it's about. Drop in the right language, the right morals as you chat to people. I'm really sorry, I can't help, I've got to write my sermon. I'm sorry, I'm I'm so late, I was just praying for a friend. It's all about appearance, it's it's self-serving, it's getting yourself noticed. That's the first thing, but but secondly, because it was about appearance, it was all about the outside. A book called Digging Dig Deeper into the Gospels has helped me a lot with this point. Clean, in, in, you clean the pots and the cups. Why? Well, it's to keep the dirt out. You deal with the, the outside to protect the inside. What matters is outside coming in. Since the inside, in their view, is so pure, you've got to get the outside clean. Okay? We focus on the outside in. Okay, perhaps you remember those biology lessons at school, okay, where you're given one of those agar petri dishes. I don't know if you ever had that. Uh, and you get it sterile and pure, and you mustn't touch it, you mustn't breathe over it or anything. Only kind of a specific thing you're testing uh, can, can touch it. 
inside the dish it's pure. Outside is where all the bugs and all the, the nasties live. And so the outside is what we deal with. Because it's outside um, that matters. And this is, this is massive in our society at the moment. In our morals, in our thinking. You see it loads in LBGT stuff. What's inside you, that's good and pure and right. What's outside you, that's restrictive and repressive and damaging. You've got to be true to yourself. True to what's inside. Because if what's inside is good, then the solution to the problems is always just to deal with what's outside us. Our religion is outside in. And it's not just them. We all do it. I think a big way to spot this is by, by blame. How much we blame. Blame says the outside is, is the problem, not what's inside. You can hear it when we apologize sometimes. I'm sorry, but... Okay, when we say but, we're saying, but in my defense, it was what was outside that was the problem. It's that that caused me to do what I did. In other words, I'm actually in the right, and I'm saying sorry, but I'm actually in the right. Pride, again, sits lurking beneath the surface. If it's, if it's outside me, I'm in control. I can deal with it. Now, what's gone wrong? Well, for the Pharisees, firstly, they'd got their biology all confused. Verse 18, Jesus just says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, uh, and is expelled? Okay? Food doesn't touch the heart. It just goes in, and then what's left goes out again. So, so, so food and, and physical cleanliness just aren't the issue. Okay, we, we are not what we eat. And we're not restricted by what we eat. You can eat bacon if you want to. There are also no ceremonial washings. We don't have holy water at the door for you to wash your hands uh, on. You know, sanitizer will not make you more holy before God, I'm afraid. It just kills the germs on your hands. But secondly, the Pharisees had missed the point. What makes us unclean is already there. It's already inside of us. We aren't pure to start with. No, our impurity goes from the inside out. It's in our hearts. Verse 6, their heart, their heart is far from me. Verse 20, and Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. And they defile a person. It's not, it, it's not outside in, it's inside out. The seeds of wickedness reside in us all. The source of sin is in our hearts. That doesn't mean we can't do good. We still remain in, in God's image. But it means we're corrupted right from deep down. As a wise person once said, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Okay, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. I know it's a cheesy line, but it contains a, po- a, a, a profound but unpopular uh, truth. What it means is how we re- respond to things is down to our hearts and not down to our circumstances. 
Those circumstances are kind of a location for them. They're the surroundings, the weather even. You know, like the, the amount of money I have doesn't determine whether I'm greedy or not. A poor person can be greedy. A rich person can be greedy. Or someone who's had a tough life can be joyful, but someone who's had a great life can be bitter. Why? Because it comes out of what our hearts are like. Now, that doesn't mean people don't do wrong things to us. Okay? People are still responsible for what they've done to you and to others. But you and me, we're responsible for our side of things. You know, when I, when I get angry at my kids, sure they may have done something wrong, but me losing my temper, it's because of something that's in my heart. It's like having a cup of water, okay? When it gets knocked, what comes out? Water comes out, okay? If a hammer hits it or a feather nudges it, water still comes out. It's not milk or wine, but whatever what was, was inside the cup, what's in our hearts comes out of us. It's inside out. Now, if you've been around church for a while, then hopefully this sounds familiar. But it's like a bomb, in a sense, going off in our our world's view of things. Because it means what's outside of us can't fix the problem. Now, lots of things can help, okay? Tough sentences on murderers will deter some. Better education will restrain us at times. But they can never fix the problem. That's why governments are great and important, but they'll never save us. All they've got are laws and education. Okay, just dealing with the outside. It's like shouting at an addict, do better, just stop it. It won't fix things. It means even religious stuff outside won't fix the problem. You know, if we get our bodies to church but leave our hearts at home, then nothing's going to change. Saying the right prayers in the right way. Going on pilgrimage, fasting, it's all about the outside in. What we need is a solution that goes deep, right to the heart. We need a heart transplant. Listen to these wonderful words. This promise of God made in Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you you hear the promise of the gospel? It's not just a set of rules. It's not just a better way to live. Just a voice saying, do that, don't do that. No, it's a new heart. If you're a Christian here this evening... Because Jesus has spent, sent his spirit into your life. You have a new heart. A new way of thinking. A new way of living, of worshipping, of feeling. You're a new creation. A mighty work of God's spirit has brought you from death to life. From a heart of stone to a heart that beats with God's life. That's the solution to this. It's a heart transplant. That's what Jesus promises because as he's diagnosed that the heart is the problem. It's the center of who you are. That that doesn't mean as Christians we're suddenly perfect. Far from it. But it means there's been a total reorientation. Rather than being far away from God, we're close to him. Rather than keeping up a facade, we're, we're on our knees before him, humbly saying, Jesus, I need you. I need this new heart. Mine is wretched in sin. 
Now, sin does still linger, doesn't it? We, we still feel its effects. It clings while we wait for Jesus to return. But its lifeblood has been cut. It's like an ivy still clinging to a tree, but, but with its roots taken out. And so we, we still cut the surface ivy away in a sense. We still put to death sin in our lives. But, but with a new heart, we, we want to do that. Our desires have changed. We want to be more like Jesus. Our new hearts are fighting. And when, when Jesus returns, it's going to be completely perfect. So to finish, this, this passage um, does force us to do kind of a spiritual ECG, a spiritual heart check. How's your heart? Well, how do you know? Well, look at your religion. Is it downside up? Is what you think or what God thinks supreme? And is it outside in? Are you keeping with the surface? Or are you letting God really deal with what's in your heart? If you see signs of life this evening, you you see yourself trying to put God's word first. You see a heart humble before him. Praise God. That's a miracle inside of you. Isn't God good? Now our new hearts still fight against sin in us. So we, we let his life grow inside of us. Keep walking in step with the Spirit. And may what comes out more and more look like Jesus. That's what we long for, isn't it? More loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful and self-controlled. But if as you look at your heart, it's all uh, downside up and outside in, then this requires a moment of humility. You need to realize the problem isn't out there. It's in here. Stop blaming all your circumstances and come to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you. I need a new heart. Show me a better way to live. A life that follows your word, not my own. A life that lets you change me within, not just on the surface. And as you do, may you experience a new heart beating, a new life with Jesus as your Lord. So for all of us, as, as we take the Lord's Supper together uh, in a moment, may we feed on Jesus Christ knowing it's in, it's in his strength. It's by his spirit uh, that we become uh, more like him. Amen.